Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to episode 15 of the Believe Knicks podcast. I am Matthew Miranda, joined after a refreshing All Star break by Stacey Patton. Stacey, how you doing? Doing pretty well. Good. Pretty uh, relatively stress free week. Yeah. With, uh, with no Knicks. Knicks haven't lost in a very long time, so this is all going well. Um, and we are excited today to have our first guest ever on the Believe Knicks pod. Um, and it's quite an esteemed guest that we have, actually. Our guest, you may be familiar with from his writings at Basketball News. He writes for Fear the Sword um, and also 137 PM, which is uh, devoted to, I guess, NFTs and gaming and all kinds of pop culture. I must say, I am not devoted to NFTs. It's just they pay me. So I, just, I have to clear that, that, that right away. Do they it's pay important. you in actual money? Yes, they do pay. Ah, me okay, I would, not, I would not be open to working. <laughs> There's an interesting irony. So yes, he writes about NFTs, but he, he still works for paper money. Um, and is on. you can hear him on um, podcasts, Tag the Roll and Indie Cornrows. Um, I have enjoyed him many, many times on many, many pods, and I'm happy to welcome him to this one. Mark Schindler, how are you doing? I am really good. I appreciate the intro a ton. It's always uh, it's always humbling, um, and I, I appreciate you. I always enjoy getting to talk. I'm glad we get to. I'm glad we get to catch up before the game yeah. games start back up again. Also, I promise I do not write about or like NFTs. Um, <laughs> just again, have to put that out there. Very important to note. Uh, I, I Jalen Green really did me dirty in the dunk contest. I was uh, I didn't put any money on him, but I told all my friends we're putting money down to put money on Jalen Green. That did not go as planned. Um, I blame the NFT thing, but I'm psyched to be here. So thank you guys for having and me. Mark has so many jobs that he's he's looking to be done with one by the end of the interview. You just have 137, <laughs> yeah. write them all. Um, so let's start quickly just with a couple. We're going to go around the league. Obviously, we'll talk Knicks, um, but I think even our listeners would enjoy the opportunity to talk about something besides the Knicks around the NBA. But I just want to start with the All-Star weekend and the All-Star game, uh, Mark, and to see... Uh, you and Stacey's reactions to what you saw. I, I heard so much complaining over the weekend about the dunk contest. Like everybody had to make the same joke. Every time there was any dunk, it was, oh, that would have won the contest. And like, I'm partisan, a Nick won, so I don't want to hear anyone's anything about the dunk contest. As far as I'm, con- I'm concerned, Obi was better than Zach Levine. Obi was better than Aaron Gordon. Like maybe Vince Carter was better, but that's about it. But... <laughs> Putting my bias aside, um, there are obviously questions with with all aspects of the the weekend and the game itself. Did you enjoy what you watched? Did you do you find it's not what it was when you were a kid? And if so, is that something that can be changed? Um, I'll be completely transparent. I did not watch the All Star Game, but I did watch uh, the Saturday Night stuff. Good man, um, Mark. We did not. Yeah, <laughs> I watched the end <laughs> of the third right. and the fourth. Because I wanted yeah, to see it's not like it, it's not like it's bad. I just um, I'm at the stage where this is the only break I really get this year, so yes. I want to make the most of it. Yes. Um, and I don't know, like I I understand where some people are coming from. Like the dunk contest uh, really lagged on. We're being honest, like especially to like Cole was as soon as I saw him bring out the Tim's, I was like, oh no, like this is this a this could only go poorly, and b you are insane for doing this. Um, but that is Cole Anthony. So, um, I mean. I, it's it's not the same, but I also think people overblow it a little bit. Like, 2016 was one of the greatest dunk contests ever. It was extremely fun. 
I think one of the points that's been made recently that I, I think holds a lot of traction is that it's not, you know, you don't have all-stars doing it. Even when Zach Levine was doing it, like he was scoring like 12, 13 points per game. I think it was right before he, he kind of blew up a little bit more in Chicago. So, you know, even then it's like, you know, the Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine household names to us, but to regular fans tuning into TNT for the all-star break, like, no, not the same. Um, like, I don't know, you go back to the 90s and, and MJ's participating and Scottie Pippen's participating and, like, mm-hmm. all of the greats are doing it. I don't think that's going to happen. I would like to see it happen, but um, I think that would be, like, the biggest change in it because I, I think, like, just generally there's going to be a lot more buzz around that. Um, again, like, I still enjoyed it. Like, I thought, I mean, I still was surprised. that I couldn't believe Juan Toscano Anderson made it in. I think I've – I feel like I've only seen him dunk in-game, like, three or four times. <laughs> And it's like strictly like just the regular one-handed putbacks uh-huh. and stuff, like nothing crazy. But he was good. Like he actually did. He did okay. Like it, it was definitely a down year. But I also think like just prior years have been really good too. Like Derek Jones Jr. was awesome in the dunk contest. Mm-hmm. Like even the year when I think it was Glenn Robinson the third did it. Um, that was a fun year. Like again, it's a lot of it just comes down to to who's actually in it. But um, yes, it could be better. Um, but I also think like Kenny Smith needs to chill a little bit. Kenny Smith does need to chill a little bit. He um, was acting some active hateration coming from him yeah. throughout the broadcast and on the dunk. There was a, didn't he give Vince Carter a nine on like maybe the greatest dunk ever? In probably, yeah, I think so. He probably did. There was a clip um, from, I guess it must have been from an episode of of Cheers. There's a I saw it on Twitter. It was a clip of Marv Albert with Shelley Long, and Marv was doing highlights of like missed dunks from I think it was 80 it was one of the ones Dominique and Jordan were in like I think what hurts with the dunk contest in part is that it's not it's really not I think directed at like hardcore fans um it's directed at casual viewers and so to casual view like to me I would say like bring in the four best dunkers you can from anywhere maybe like one from overseas one from the G League one from the NBA wherever like, I would love to see that. I would just love to see, like, merit-based show-me-the-best-dunkers. But I think what hurts dunking now is that everything you see from the past is filtered. Like, it's all—it's not Jordan missing at the foul line, which he did. It's not Dominique missing Tomahawks, which he did. It's only these perfect, like, gorgeous, gorgeous dunks. And then you watch, you know, Juan Toscano Anderson repeatedly missing something and, like, it, it automatically feels like a lesser event, but it really isn't. Like, I still love the fact, like, I remember years ago, people, because there's always dunk contest angst going on. The argument used to be 20 years ago. Well, there's only so many ways to dunk a ball. Don't do it anymore. Obi Toppin was doing things I've never seen. Like, still, all these years later, like, maybe it's not as exciting as the first time you see someone jump from slightly inside the foul line, Michael Jordan. But seeing Obi Toppin go up and hit the glass and then dunk it, even though he had to try it however many times, I thought was like, I was impressed. But if I'm a casual fan and all I know of dunk contests is MJ, you know, cocked back on the poster or Vince Carter putting his elbow through the rim, like this is going to look lousy. It's going to look subpar. Um, Is it time, do you think? I heard a lot of talk, Stacey, three-point contest, that's what should go last. That's become the kind of coin of the realm in the league and it's it's much more of a dramatic setup you know because it's, it's not stylistic it's just make your points i feel like the three-point contest is similar to the dunk in that you can have an exciting ending and you can have years where 
you know, by the last rack, it's already decided. But do you think maybe that is a, a change that should come and reflect maybe a different interest for the casual fan? Um, I think you're probably so I'm not personally on that's not, I guess, my big change I would make. But um, the pluses for that would be I would imagine that it's going to be easier to attract big names to Mark's earlier point to the three point contest. There's less of a chance of injury. Um, no, unless you're Steph Curry, I don't think there's as much pressure. Like there's pressure on Steph to win it when he participated. But like if you're Levine or even CJ, if you have a stinker at the three point contest, it's not going to embarrass you the same way. Whereas like, you know, if LeBron or someone does the dunk contest, they look foolish. There's probably, so for those, and then obviously there's the injury thing. So for those reasons, I think you might have more star power in the three point contest. That could be a reason, but honestly for me, maybe I'm, maybe this is, um, recency bias. But it really felt like there were more missed dunks this year than usual. Mm-hmm. Um, not just I actually don't think Juan Toscano Anderson was that bad. It was really Jalen Green who missed it. Yeah, it felt thank like you. It was, yeah, thank you. That um, was painful. <laughs> and it's tough. Like you want to give people misses because you want them to do ambitious stuff. But there's a trade-off. Um, um, I also would be curious how much the showmanship. So like you know, dressing like the Tim's thing was obviously one thing, but we've always seen it, right? We saw. Dwight Howard with the Superman cape. We saw John Collins with like the whole, um, you know, the airline or the the plane thing, right, mm-hmm. uh, in North Carolina. And the question is, is that stuff maybe distracting away from the real dunking part? I don't know. I I I mean, I'm biased. I thought Obi's dunks were really good. I think they would have been good enough to win on a lot of years. Yeah. Um, I and I also, I don't like some of the some of the things that fall flat. I, I admire the risk taking, right. Uh, one dunk. Who was it? Um, was it Gerald Green who blew out the pup cupcake candle? Yeah, so. yeah, it was Gerald Green. I think so. I actually thought that was a cool idea. Was like, cool. I don't think it looked as cool. He didn't get a lot of. I think that wasn't the Dwight Howard year, so he didn't get as much love from the. the but like, I like people trying that. Yeah. Um, but there's a limit. So yeah. So the TLDR, I guess, there is three point contest can probably attract more star power. So sure. Um, but the other hand, um. You know, um, I think the dunk contest itself, it's probably the missed dunks more than anything else that annoyed me this year, um, more even than the actual dunks that were performed. And um, and I will say one last thing. To Mark's point, I do think that having stars there helps. Um, I think having Zach Levine in the dunk contest helped. I think um, Derek Jones Jr. Um, sorry, Derek Jones Jr. did really good, but the one that kind of rescued the, the dunk contest was Dwight Howard. And he was... He was still not quite. But he, that was his. That was his first big MVP caliber year. I think they made the the finals that year. Mm-hmm. So um, you know those kinds of things. Um, I think that that's not a coincidence. I think those things do help. Uh, but I still think the dunk contest can be good without that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the big thing to me is just too many missed dunks and perhaps going a little bit too far on some of the distraction and mm-hmm. extra extra elements. I'm very, very happy that Obi won, especially because he's my daughter's like favorite player. And so she was just like on cloud nine about that. But it does make Obi Obi Toppin is now only the third Nick ever to win the slam dunk contest. Nate Robinson kind of infamously won it three times. The other was Kenny Walker. And I've always had this discomforting like ways that Obi Toppin is similar to Kenny Walker's career. And it's too early and it's not fair. But like 
As soon as they the... both have Star Wars nicknames, right? What's that? And... They both have Star Wars nicknames, Obi-Wan and Skywalker. Oh my god, you just made it worse. That didn't make it better at all. Okay, let's move on from this. I'm going to move I thought the All-Star talk would be casual and easy. No, I'm going to move on. Uh, Mark, I'm really interested um, as, a, as an observer of the league, what you have thought of what you've seen and heard about the Knicks this year. Um, they go into the second half... 25 and 34, they seem to be in that middle position. We know Thibodeau's going to go for it. We know the team's going to go for it, but it already might be like too little too late. Um, I think most Nick fans this year had expectations um, that are higher than what we've seen, given, you know, injuries, given the way the East has changed. From your perspective, what have you made of the Knicks this season? Uh, wow, I have a lot to say about the Knicks. Um it's really tough, man, because this was probably my favorite team to watch last year. Um, so I came in with expectations of knowing that what I was going to get every night. And the problem has been that that we're not getting that every night. Like this team going from even if they weren't necessarily the the best defense, I thought they were pretty close to the best defense last year, even, you know, just eschewing defensive rating or whatever. Um, it was more about the consistency for me. Like you knew you were getting hard closes every time you knew the low man was coming. You knew you were getting high tags. Like you knew what the Knicks were doing. Um, hell, come hell or high water, even if the offense was going to be a struggle at times. Um, and it just hasn't been the same this year. And I think part of it's been personnel. Like the Evan Fournier signing really hasn't worked out. I do think he's been scapegoated a little bit too much personally. Like I think he's a fine player. He's definitely overtaxed. I think him and Kemba have both shown like the true need for ball handling that this team has. Like just ball handling or high level playmaking off the dribble, which is an issue. Like I think IQ is probably the best live dribble playmaker right now. And that's not a slight at him. That's more like he's still coming off the bench, which we can, I'm sure we'll talk about, but like, I think that that is really glaringly shown through, especially because Julius is not getting the same kind of attention he was last year, just because of the way that his shot has faltered a little bit. I will say though, like even though the Knicks are not winning, um, Julius has been really damn good over the last month. Like he is really, figured his shit out. He's been playing harder on defense. He's been more engaged. He's been making quicker de decisions on offense. The shot still isn't great, but it's been better for mid-range. Um, and he just looks like more uh, engaged in team play. Um, the issue is just everyone else. Like, or not, I mean, Julius is still part of the issue. Like, I mean, having Julius be the guy that everything is built around is part of the issue. Like, Fournier was supposed to alleviate things. Kemba was supposed to alleviate things in the half court. And, um, there have been like inklings of it from Fournier, not so much from Kemba. Um, so that's been frustrating. And I think more it's just hitting where we have after like the new year turn. I think once we hit the new year is when we kind of were like, okay, these are the teams that are legit this year. And these are the teams that are not. And like the, I feel like the Pacers and Knicks very quickly at the same point hit the, wow, we're, we're not where we fucking want to be point. Mm -hmm. And, um, What's been most frustrating about the Knicks is like as soon as they made the cam trade, I was like, okay, are they going to actually change things up and start going in for more of a youth movement? Because that's what's been frustrating me. Like, I'm I'm not just trying to like pan national people because technically I'm a national analyst or whatever, but I feel like a lot of this has just been like wall Knicks. Like, there's a lot here, and that's what's so discouraging to me because last year was the best I felt about the Knicks in my entire lifetime. Like, other than when Amari first got traded to the Knicks. Mm -hmm. Um like this is last year was the best that I ever felt. And I like even coming in earlier to the year, even when they were struggling a little bit um, about 20, 30 games in like, okay, Quentin Grimes has really hit and looks awesome. Looks way better than I even expected pre-draft. 
I think RJ has taken, I don't want to, some people, you know, quibble at saying another leap, but I think he's leaned in even more to what he does. Um, the efficiency still isn't amazing, but I think he has made improvements and he's looking good. But again, clearly overtaxed with being like the second best ball handler in, in most lineups at times. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see the things coming through that are good and positive, but it just, uh, nothing ever seems to be happening concurrently. Like Mitch has been awful for most of the season and then he gets right health wise and he's been really damn good lately. But again, it's just the consistency and his IG stories that, that seem to pop up after every game about plus minus is always exciting. Um, I, I think just the biggest problem is that the, I don't know, like the, the organization feels like it's trying to go in multiple directions because Tibbs wants to go in one direction. The front office wants to go in another, but um, I don't think a lot, like, I mean, a lot of this can be put on Tibbs, but also I would just blanket statement say, okay, the front office should have known this was going to happen coming in. Like, if they were going to sign Taj Gibson and they were going to sign Derrick Rose and not like, I mean, we haven't seen Derrick play in a while and he was good when he was healthy, but like point being like, we know Tom is going to fucking play those guys. If he has them on the roster. Um, if you wanted to go in this more in a direction of being competitive, but trying to grow your young guys, you have to be on the same page with him. Otherwise it's not going to happen. And I think this is really just backfiring of the, the moves that they made in the off season or didn't make in the off season. And, um, it's been just very frustrating to watch and I hope that it gets rectified, but, um, I definitely am not, uh, not holding my breath that it will be. Mm-hmm. Tibbs guys are very much like Chekhov's gun. Like they're there, they're going to be used. Like there's no way that they're going to be ignored. <laughs> Stacy, anything you want to add or reflect on what Mark said? Uh, Chekhov's Todd, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I guess, yeah, I mean, that's interesting. So going back to last summer, I think part of it, the Knicks were in a weird spot where I think before uh, before Rose took over, or Rose took over the year before, but like before the last season, right? I think the plan was to they drafted Obi. I don't think they had long term plans for Julius Randle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the expectation was probably to create space, uh, accumulate or sorry to use space to accumulate assets um, and clear bad contracts otherwise. Um, and you know the plan changed because they had some success. So this sum, last summer they couldn't. The quids had made it kind of potentially worthwhile to keep on that track, but obviously they had gotten good. And Tibbs and the fan base is going to be impatient, right? So they went for Fournier, uh, who has kind of lived up to what they had, what you could really reasonably sell him on. I think Prez had a good tweet today about how um, you know when you look at volume of three point makes, mm-hmm. um, he's sixth in the league and. Um, you know, uh, I think that only two of the like healed makes more 23 and Beasley makes, um, makes only $1 million less. So like for what, for what Fournier brings, I think, you know, it's not a bad contract. Right. Mm, Um, but you know, there's a lot of people saying they should have gone for someone like Lonzo ball or, you know, tampering and all, you know, they could have made that happen or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, DeRozan was a very polarizing topic of conversation among Knicks fans the last summer. Um, obviously, you know, there's one side that looks a lot better in that coming out of it, right? Playing like an MVP. Uh, but my contention has kind of been that there really weren't, wasn't a whole lot of, I mean, let's say they did add DeRozan. Um, I think there's probably a lot of people who'd be like, the fit with Randall be bad and they'd be horrible, maybe. But even if you don't buy that, I don't know that they're a contender. And I don't know how worthwhile sacrificing picks are, but that could be me 
Um, you know, were there any moves you think that were available that you think the Knicks should have gone towards? Was it more of a case of just kind of stripping it down, not bringing back vets and like forcing tips to play the kids? I'd be curious, like, you know, hindsight being 2020, what you might have done differently. Yeah. I mean, I know we had heard like rumblings about Lonzo, but I imagine if, if something had been there for Lonzo, it's hard to imagine that they wouldn't have gone for it. You know, like, um, so I remember stuff coming out like that. He was, he was interested in going to Toronto. I'm not Toronto, Jesus going in, going to Chicago and that played a part in him going there. Um, like, honestly, I liked what the Knicks did in, in, in free agency. Cause like you mentioned, like what else were they supposed to do? Or they had an insane amount of cap space, unless you're going out and signing somebody like tomorrow. Okay. You sign a couple vets, you re-sign your guys. I think the only deal that you can really get frustrated about maybe is the Nerlens deal because he is I mean part of it's been injury this year but he just hasn't he hasn't been great this year mm-hmm. um but even then like okay he's being paid 30 million dollars over three years that's like that's a movable contract he's not a terrible player in the right system it works um I don't really know what else I would have done like especially too like I guess hindsight like maybe you don't do some moves but um like I thought this team was going to be a team that is, is fighting to, to to be competitive in the playoffs and potentially, you know, I, I think my projections for them I had earlier at the year, like, you know, five seed felt doable to me. Mm-hmm. But again, a lot of that too is like, okay, I didn't, ex- I thought Chicago would be good. I didn't think they would be this good. Um, you know, a lot of other things have changed up as well. But um, like, I, again, I, I think like, I'm sure people will, will, will fault the Knicks for what they did in, in free agency looking backwards. But at the time it felt fine. Like, um, I, I like, I think even then, like, I don't, I don't really, I think that contracts get so over talked about sometimes, um, like, especially with somebody like Fournier, like, what is he getting paid? Like four for 80, like, or, or it's well, like slightly it's, below it's, it's four for 72, but the fourth year is a team option. So, yeah. So like, even then that's not, that's a totally movable contract. Mm-hmm. Like he is still in his prime. You can quibble again about like what kind of player he is, but he's, he's a, a fine starter. Like that is a useful player. That's a movable contract. Even like that, that's how I looked at it. I was like, okay, even if this doesn't necessarily work out for the Knicks or they want to go in a direction in a year or two, you can move that deal. Like he's a good player. People will want him, even if he's just factoring as a rotation guy, especially with the cap bump coming up relatively soon. Like I just, it, it, it's just a deal. Like I, I don't think it was a, it was a, it was a problem at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and sorry, th- just to add on to that, I think part of it is also with the as as kind of tough situations go, there always has to be someone to blame, mm-hmm. and I think there's kind of maybe more amongst Nick's Twitter, but even within the media, there's kind of is it Tibbs' fault? Is it Leon Rose's fault? Um, you know, do you think that there's a lot of things that Tibbs has kind of could have changed that maybe that's what's not bringing the most out of the roster, or is it is it a false dichotomy? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I've always thought the, the offense is pretty lackluster and could be, um, like there's not a lot of intuitive movement and stuff going on. Most of the threes are coming out of actions, uh, like, you know, sucking in the defense and then kicking the ball out. But again, the problem has been Julius is just not getting two to the ball the same way that he was last year. Um, like he still is, but not to, I mean, last year he was getting treated like an all NBA player and, and deservedly so, but it hasn't been the same this year. He, he hasn't hit the same. Um, but one of the things that I think I would like to see, and I think part of it too, is just like, it's, it's always hard to know if you want to fault a coach for this or if this is on the players. But I think generally if, if you can't decide, it's probably on the coach a little bit more. Um, but they just take so long to get into everything Mm -hmm. and it bugs me so much, man. Like Mm -hmm. 
I posted a clip the other day, and I got some heat for it because they were it was in the midst of Julius's like really good quarter against the Lakers. Um, and he was he was really good in that game to be fair. But like, okay, they have an opportunity to go five on three with like twenty seconds left. Julius gets the rebound. I think AD had like fallen over, yeah. and and one of the other Lakers was back. Um, and Julius just like walks the ball up court and they don't get into anything until AD. And I think it was Trevor Reza are back and set on defense. And like, that was just a microcosm of what the offenses looked like all year. Like mm-hmm. so routinely they're, they're not starting a set until 14 seconds on the shot clock. And for a team that already can have some issues creating advantages, like you have to get the most out of everything you can do. Like even as much as I, I've, I've kind of, soured on charlotte recently like i do appreciate how active they are in forcing the issue in transition because they know they're not a very good half court team like if you aren't a good half court team you have to get the most out of quick hitters in transition and and really trying to um get the most out of quicker offense or when you have an inherent advantages just because somebody missed at the rim and um I'd have to go back and watch last year but it just felt to me like it wasn't that big of an issue last year compared to what it is now um, that would be my biggest thing. Um, I would like to see, I, and we've seen it more recently to be fair, but like, I want to see, I, I've wanted to see a lot more of Julius being used as, as a DHO guy. Um, just doing more, uh, getting, getting use out of his gravity without him having to necessarily have the ball, I think has been an issue for this team a lot. Um, but then again, like another issue too, the screening sucks on this team. Like <laughs> it's such a small thing, but it's massive because, like as big as Mitch Rob is, like he is a poor screener still. Like he doesn't make contact a lot. If he does make contact, I feel like his roles aren't as good. That's something he's needed to work on for a while, and it still hasn't come through. Um, Julius is also a god awful screener. Like there are there will be mm-hmm. moments where he like really sells out and it looks good. Like I feel like most of the times when it is happening, it's when he and, and Fournier are doing a, like an empty corner action, which is like that's like the only time it feels like good offense is happening from the starters. Mm-hmm. But. Um, it's just a lot of like the execution is so poor and it, it just didn't feel like that was a thing at all last year, even though the offense wasn't like world beating, but like you knew what they were, that they were, they were good at doing what they wanted to do. And it just hasn't felt the same at all this year. Is this coaching Stacy? Because I remember when Cantor was a Nick I mean, when now Enos freedom, nay Cantor. No, it's Enos actually. <laughs> you saw. Wait, he changed that? <laughs> no, uh, I'm, there was a, a Forbes sports article this oh. morning that, was claiming that it's uh it's the same thing as the Kaepernick situation, but they uh they called him Enos Cantor and they got <laughs> rightfully clowned for it. So the artist formerly known as Enos Cantor <laughs> was a Nick. And when he was a Nick, one of the things he did that drove at least the readers that I was seeing nuts was Cantor could ne- he could never set a screen. He slipped one hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I remember mm-hmm. trying to my partner was asking me like, well if he keeps doing that, you know, why doesn't someone tell him? And I realized, like, I I have to assume that the coaching staff is either dictating that or endorsing it because there's no way he would continue to do this against the wishes of the team. Is this a Thibodeau thing? I feel like the Knicks haven't screened in years. Other than Taj Gibson, I feel like there's not any player on this team who I ever see stand and set a screen. And I feel like that has to be with Thibodeau's like approval, right? There is one other player on the current team who I think sets amazing screens. IQ, yeah. 
<laughs> well, actually, he does. Borderline illegal. He said some of the worst. <laughs> I'm talking about Jericho Sims, who granted small sample size, mm. but this goes back to college. Um, Mark, I'd be curious to see your thoughts, too. I know you wrote, you did a piece, or I think I saw you on PD Web talking about Deuce McBride quite a bit. Um, I'm not sure if you watched a whole lot of Sims, but that's one very notable difference between Jericho Sims and the Knicks' other bigs. He sets hard screens, and because of uh, you know his girth, like he just creates so much space. Um, even more so than Taj, actually, who's obviously the best screener. Um, to answer your question, uh, again, I would defer to Mark on this because I think you probably have a little bit more of an idea of how much coaching plays a role in this. But I think Tibbs often talks about you know you, the game tells you what to do, so it probably is a read there from the big right when to slip and when to um, you know when to stay. And there are some guys who are just going to be more inclined to s- slip, right? Or they're going to feel the trap um, more more easily when 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 they're um, you know when when they're on the ball, right? Or, or they could be guys that just for Mitch, I think it partly probably is the fact that if he can get even a step, he's an instant lob threat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for Randall, I think he also has kind of that proclivity to get downhill, but um, that that would probably be biases. As far as I would imagine, they're probably not spending a lot of time coaching up bigs to to work on their screens that is kind of disappointing but um as far as coaching telling them not to set it it seems random because um between Taj and albeit in a very small sample um sims like you know you're seeing that there are guys in the Knicks who do set hard screens yeah and I think it's tough too because kind of like you're mentioning um I don't like I think I've seen like you and Prez and um um, I'm losing my mind right now. Other people at the Strickland talking about this, like th- this is not a high field team and I'm not trying to call them stupid, but like oh, yeah. just in general, like this is not like, I think there's a, like looking at Julius, like he's, yes, he has real playmaking chops and, and uh, ability to see the floor, but he has to scan it first, like uh, for forever. It feels like, um, and I think, I mean, even with like Alec Burks is like, fine but like with how much he handles the ball he's not a great playmaker like if he's getting downhill he can make reads on the interior but like same thing pretty much like even like Kemba's never been an amazing playmaker he's been good but a lot of it's because of what he used to be able to do with getting paint touches and and being so electric downhill like there just aren't a lot of guys on this team who make quick decisions and I think that's a big problem when you have a the guy who stirs the drink is who makes probably the slowest decisions on the team it feels like it's and that again that's that's looked better recently but still like just going down like fournier not an awesome quick decision maker he can really stop the ball sometimes like rj will make decisions quickly i don't know what the, the decisions are sometimes but i appreciate that he'll do them like and i again i wouldn't consider rj like a bad field guy but he's like for how much he touches the ball like um it's just not quite what you're looking for um and that's – I don't know. It's it's really hard to, to figure out with that one like because so much of it is the bench. Like there was that piece that – I can't remember who quoted it, but I think it was from, from somebody at The Athletic who I don't feel like naming right now, but you know who I'm talking about, just said like, oh, there'd be no difference if the bench swapped with the starters. And I just totally disagree with that. To me, the reason the bench is so much better is because they have guys who do make, make quick decisions and are, and see the court well and 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 – are able to play within the flow of the offense. Like Grimes and IQ are perfect guys to play along Julius because they can do that and really grease the context. Um, but 
I, th- I mean, to me, that's the biggest issue. It's just this team has like no live triple playmaking and even just, you know, continuing advantages is a big problem for them. If, if they do create an advantage, because um, like if it's not an immediate shot, like it's, you know, you're, you're getting a, a one dribble pull up inside the arc. Like it's just kind of, uh, yeah, it's very frustrating. And kind of on that note, so you talk about the live dribble playmaking. And again, I did mention you, I know you watched a lot of Deuce McBride in college do you think this is a case, you know, fans calling for him, for him to get minutes? Um, do you think that's probably a case of, you know, backup quarterback syndrome where he's the most popular guy? Or do you think, you know, there really is something he could add even this year um, to what the Knicks are trying to do? Yeah, um, it's interesting. I'd have to go watch him in Westchester. I know he's, like, been killing it in Westchester, if I remember correctly. But, um, like, to me, it's pretty simple. I would, I mean, Kemba's playing over the last... In February, Kemba's playing 23 minutes per game, and you're telling me that that Deuce might not be better. Like, I can't get there. Um, mm-hmm. Like, Kemba's had some moments where it looks good, but basically if the jumper isn't falling for him, it's really like, what is he adding? Um, so I don't think that there's – I would like – like, that's part of what the issue is. Like, I would like to see Deuce get minutes. I would really like to see Deuce get minutes or just any of the younger guys get, get more minutes and opportunity with the ball in their hands because – why the hell not? Like this, I don't want to just be like, oh, this is a lost season. But I think to me, this becomes a lost season if you just go full steam ahead trying to make the playoffs still. Because A, I don't think it's going to happen, um, if we're being frank. Even if you do make the playing game, okay, so you can get stomped by like Milwaukee in the first round. Like what is the point in that? Uh, what is that doing to move the team forward? Like I really think it's one of the most important strides we see from teams headed into another year. Like even like it's an unfair way to paint it like i thought i think the team's gonna make the finals next year but like phoenix getting the run that they did in the in the bubble and momentum they got from that was so important to what they did i think that was a team that could have come in and just said you know fuck it we're just gonna play our eight games and get the hell out of here Mm -hmm. um but they worked their asses off i think that they showed a lot of what they had throughout the year but were able to put more together like that's what i want to see from the knicks and i i don't I don't think this is at a stage where like they're going to cut Kemba or anything like that. Cause I, I think he, is he guaranteed for next year or at least for some money? So yeah. Yeah. That's correct. yeah. Um, so that's probably not going to happen, but like exactly. Like I would like to see Deuce play. Uh, he's not like, he's not like a crazy high field guy, but he's again, somebody who I think can get downhill, can make plays. He's a good shooter. I love watching him play defense. I would absolutely love to watch him play defense on this team. I think he's a guy that Tom would like, but um, I mean, especially because it's less it's less about potential with him, and he has the ability to impact the court right now, so he'd earn the minutes, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, just to answer your question fully, I think Deuce could play some NBA minutes right now for this team for sure. Unfortunately, Deuce made the mistake um, a few months ago in a game in Houston of having the best game of his career. And whenever Tom Thibodeau sees a rookie do that, that rookie is promptly disappeared for a couple of months. Yeah, so um, it's like saying anything bad about the government in China, and then I'm saying you don't exist anymore. In Westchester, is what they call them in Argentina, and that's what Deuce is. He has disappeared. so, Mark, when you were talking before about the, um, the kind of player the Knicks don't have, my my heart always goes back to I really wanted Tyrese Halliburton. Like, for before that draft, I wanted him, like, all the time. And then at the end, mm-hmm. I let the voices get to me, and people were like, he's too slow. Like, he's not going to get the shot. And I was like, 
all right, you know, and then I fell in love with Isaac Coro and I turned my back on Halliburton, but Halliburton is the one who got away. And mm-hmm. when you talked about the kind of player the Knicks don't have in terms of like, um, I can't remember the term you used, but um, like someone who plays, who thinks and plays at a speed at times that the Knicks don't. Um, he's a pacer now, and there, there's, there's kind of been a cycle of reactions to the Sabonis Halliburton trade. Um, I have been fairly stuck where I was in my initial reaction, which was my my partner was actually downstairs and I was up in the office and she called up to see if I was okay because I could not stop laughing. Like like my <laughs> like I had lost my mind. I could not believe that the Pacers got Halliburton. I understand more in retrospect, you know, Sabonis is very young and Sacramento has a different objective. Sacramento wants to be competitive ASAP, whatever. So there, there's that part of it also. But um, first, I'm just curious on a basketball fit um, perspective, what you think of Halliburton under Carlisle going forward with the young core that they have. They have Chris Duarte. They still have Brogdon. They have Isaiah Jackson. Um, I don't know if TJ Warren, I think he's a free agent anyway. Um what just what what was your reaction um to the deal and and how does it look so far i mean i was pretty shocked um just because i didn't expect tyrese halliburton to get moved and i didn't expect omos to get moved either like mm. we'd seen both guys get get mentioned uh by insiders as you know guys who had been brought up in talks um but based on everything we'd heard it was like okay you know domas is going to require like a king's ransom literally um <laughs> to to get and uh, so when I saw the notification at first, I was like, oh, wow, wow. Like from both teams, uh, basically like the the Kobe White, Cam Johnson draft selection was me. It was like, wow, <laughs> wow, man. Wow. And like, um, I think I feel like the same as I did on the first day, um, even with Tyrese having played four games. Like I thought this was the right move for Indiana. Um, if you can get somebody that good, like that was about a, as good of a return as you can get for the modest bonus, in my opinion, like. And like you mentioned, Domas is, is really young too. I think like I, I can be annoyingly nuanced with, with things, but I do think we have to look at both sides with it. Like um, to me, this was more about Mont McNair doesn't have the uh, Sacramento's uh, GM doesn't have the luxury of waiting for Tyrese Halliburton to be an all-star level player. Like the Vecron DB is going to fire him if they don't make the playoffs soon. So I get that. Um, and I think same thing for him. Like if you can go out and get somebody as good as Domas and they view him as, somebody who could be an interesting fit alongside De'Aaron Fox, like, and also to kick around too, like if they could have traded De'Aaron Fox instead of Tyrese Auburn, they would have. Um, like, I think that's something that's been overlooked too. Um, so I'm interested by that, but just for the Pacers, like I was talking about this with Caitlin Cooper um, and Tyrese Halburn is the best perimeter playmaker that the Pacers have ever had. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Like, it's close, at least in my lifetime. Like, I think Mark Jackson is super overrated and he's a shitty person anyway, so I can't really, I will never stand up for him. Um, but, like, I don't With know. Tyrese doesn't have to – Tyrese doesn't have to back down somebody for 15 seconds to make a pass. So, you know, I'll give him uh, I'll give him the, the, the up there. But then even just going since 2000, all right, like Jamal Tinsley, um, nah, that's not really moving the needle. George Hill, like – Paul George was obviously awesome, but that kind of playmaker, no, not in no way in hell. Um, Darren Collison. Yeah, exactly. Like you're going, you're running through the middle of combo guards pretty much. And um, I mean, Tyrese is like already, I think he's averaging 21 and 11 um, 
in Indiana. And I think it's on 64% true shooting, which is like 8% above league average right now. He's been insane. And like, even then, like he can, he could be taking more shots. Like he's been very, very good. The early returns have been incredible. Um, and like, he's definitely the kind of guy, like it sounds cliche, but like I would have not wanted to trade him if I was Sacramento. And I imagine that was like the hardest thing Monty McNair has ever done in his life. Um, but I'm really excited for his fit moving forward just because I think it gives you a more concrete building block, um, especially because the Pacers clearly did not view Domas as that guy, which I think is something that, I mean, Caitlin and I have talked about as being a little bit frustrating because, you know, his entire time here, even though he was a two-time All-Star, um, they never called him a star. They never tried to paint him as the face of the franchise. And I, I think you can um, – whatever. Like, that's their prerogative, but um, – I I had just never understood that, and I think that definitely played a big part into them being willing to move on from him. I think they like very clearly wanted to get somebody who could create from the perimeter instead of, you know, having things. Uh, I don't even want to say it's built around Domas. Like that is a that's just kind of an unfair trope in my opinion. Like the team was never built around him. That team was built around Victor Oladipo, and then he got hurt, and they didn't do an awesome job with figuring out that roster from there on. And that's why we were at where we are now. Rick Carlisle, like, fundamentally did not really seem to like building Domas into his offense. Um, like, he tried to play five out with him much of the much of the early year and finally moved things over about halfway through. And believe it or not, the offense was good. Um, but, like, it just was very odd with how that factored in. What does throw in an extra wrinkle, though, like, Kevin Pritchard had his uh, – he had a press conference talking about the trade. Um, I think the second to last game before the All-Star break. And uh, he said, you know, he met, he mentioned the word soft rebuild, which immediately was like, ah, okay, what what do you mean? And then Tyrese Alberton had an interview with NBA Today. And obviously just for like people who aren't aware, like players are getting coached before interviews that are that big. Like they're not just going on there on a whim. So he talks immediately on there. Like, you know, when Malik Andrews asked him about, you know, this year being a pacer moving forward, he's like, oh, you know, this is a soft rebuild for us. Um this year hasn't gone how they wanted it. And our goal is to make the playoffs next year. And so to me, that's where it gets a little bit of a hang up for me. I think no matter what, making the move for Tyrese is, is the right move. But I think this, I mean, cause even going back to Kevin's, uh, Kevin's uh, presser, like he talked about wanting to be uh, a contender and taking that next step that the team has never really been at. And I just have real questions if that includes not, uh, not taking some real time to figure out the rest of the roster. Um, but we'll see on that end. I want to hop to the West um, for a couple of things. And one which came out over the all-star break is that Chris Paul is out six to eight weeks. Um, depending on when he returns in that timeline, either he'll make it at the end of the regular season or sometime. Actually, hold on a sec. Somebody's at my, can I yeah, yeah, right yeah. Somebody's at my door. Sure. So Chris Paul, um, probably is back end-ish of the season. My question is, does it matter? At this point, Phoenix has a pretty good lead in the West. They have a pretty good schedule, I think, remaining the rest of the year. Um, this is a team that's been together and highly successful the last couple of seasons. Obviously, you never want Chris Paul to be missing six to eight weeks with, a, I think, a wrist injury. But as far as late-season injuries of this magnitude normally go, um, to me, from the outside, this feels like maybe the one team in the league that could 
afford this the most because they have so much other talent going on and but is it pos- is that possible or is this just inherently like this is a problem um i think i would just say it's a problem because it was uh i think the wording was 6 to 8 weeks and he'll be reevaluated oh. um if it was so that makes it that throws it up in the air a little bit more because yeah, yeah. within I think it's within six and a half or seven weeks we're in the playoffs already. So mm-hmm. um that definitely throws a wrench into it. Like I'm hoping that they were just being uh extra cautious because um they're not entirely sure yet. Um but I mean I would just say automatically, like I agree with you, they have a real cushion, but I'm also slightly worried just because um like I think that they're that if they even finish going 500 over the last 20 ish games. It's, I would be surprised if it's that bad. Um, but I'm just really interested because this team, like, uh, obviously they're very good. Like, they're the best team in the NBA this year. They have a ton of talent, but so much of what they do offensively is set by their guard play. Um, campaign is still out right now with the wrist injury. He would be the backup. So, Alfred Payton and Aaron Holiday are going to be starting. Two of our very close friends, uh, <laughs> Alfred Payton and Aaron Holiday. Um, I mean, I think that, like, honestly, Alpha has been a little bit better this year than he was last year. And even then, like you and I talked about this, Matt, like, I don't think he was nearly as bad as people made him out to be last year. But, um, I mean, that's not great in terms of having to start those guys or just rely on them for real production. So a lot's going to be on Devin Booker. Um, again, I, I think we've seen Booker play with the ball in his hands at, at, at a high level before. Um, or I, I mean, like obviously plays the ball in his lap, but I mean more, you know, as the lead guy, I think it'll be an interesting litmus test for, to show people where he's at as a player. Um, I'm not really super worried about it, but if he's not back like two weeks before the season's over, I'd be kind of a little bit, uh, a little bit worried about that. Um, just because, you know, given, I don't want to just throw it out to chalk it up to his age, but I mean just having an injury like that before the playoffs is certainly um, not something I would be very excited about for him or the, or the Suns in general. Stacy, let's say those Suns get to the end of the season. They're still the top seed first round. Paul is, is either gone or just working his way back and they're playing the Lakers. Hollywood would teach us to believe that there's definitely a future where we're all like, yeah, but, you know, they had LeBron and Anthony Davis, and sometimes that's all you need. And the Lakers pull out that series and go on this magical run. Everything we have seen from them to the season to this point suggests that is utter nonsense and cannot be. What do you think the ceiling is, assuming Davis, you know, comes back? If Davis is healthy, LeBron is healthy, Westbrook is healthy, the Lakers are in the playoffs. Do you think they can sneak an upset here, get some momentum there, get the right matchup, and suddenly Lakers are in the finals and we're all like, oh, yeah, or no? Um, I think it's possible. I think it's tough to bet against LeBron James in the playoffs, mm-hmm. um, despite what certain people's narratives might have you say. Um, yeah, I mean, you have LeBron, you have a chance. Uh, we actually had um, Karanjus McBasketball on um, – on Pod Strickland uh, this weekend, and it's fascinating how many actual parallels there are between the Lakers and the Knicks. 
Um, this is not to say Julius Randle is anywhere near LeBron James, but they both rely heavily on a front court player for their playmaking. Um, they're both by identity kind of defense first teams, and they've both really struggled to find a primary ball handler. Um, both made free agent signings that have not quite panned out, although I think Westbrook has probably been more of a plus than Kemba. Um, you know, he's still, uh, you know, a lot of right Lakers fans have been frustrated with him. Um, you know, and then Vogel has, in some ways, I think, exacerbated things. He's exacerbated a no-win situation, perhaps, by with some of his rotations. But to answer your question, at full health, um, they, I think they've, in the playoffs, I did like his rotations better the year they won it. They used AD more at the five. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they have been using him more at the four because they want to spare his legs. Um, I would also expect them to do more things like, um, like play Monk at the one. Um, next to LeBron, since LeBron is your primary ball handler anyway, the benefit of, um, you know, they'll probably stagger him and Westbrook more. I would expect the Lakers to get more creative. And with Paul out, that's definitely a dangerous team. I just think the Suns are too good top to bottom. Um, the Lakers also defensive strategies have been wonky at times. Um, and I'm not willing to pick against the best team in basketball. Um, so for me, I, I wouldn't bet on it, but I wouldn't count LeBron James out. And I would say that Vogel has shown the ability to, I think he's a better playoff coach than he is a regular season coach. Mark, it's the end of the movie. We're at Crystal Lake. We burned Jason. We chained him up. We threw him in the pond. We start to walk away. Is it safe? Are the Lakers this year no longer a contender? Or can you not turn your back on a team that might have a healthy LeBron and a, and a healthy, or might not, but might have a healthy LeBron and AD. Uh, yeah, it's it's so tough for me, man. Like, I've tried really hard to to find avenues to a enjoy that team and b like really feel like they have a shot. I think it's tough because the Suns to me are better this year than they were. I mean, that's not really like saying anything insane like this, this team's better than they were last year um and the lakers are like by and gone way worse uh i think the problem is more their their personnel like i rogel hasn't been awesome like he has he's done a lot of things that i haven't really understood but um also the personnel just sucks man like their roster is straight dookie water right now and i i don't have a lot of good things to say about it like um even with like when they are relying on their defense, it can look good. But then when they actually need offense to go, like the problem is like, they don't have any lineups that mesh going both ways for the most part. Like, okay, they can throw out a defense first lineup and then, you know, struggle by with a one Oh two offensive rating, or they can go with LeBron at the five and have like mellow out their spacing and doing all this fun stuff that looks really good offensively, but then their defense sucks and takes a hit. And like, they just have never been able to find that mix. And I don't think that they have five players who can really make it work together, which is the problem. Like, okay, if you throw Stanley Johnson out there, he kind of has to play the five. And even then he's going to get looked off on offense. Even then, like, I mean, that's where I've had more quibbles with Frank Vogel, the offensive alignments and just everything they've done offensively has been outside of when they play LeBron at the five. And I think that's more just because talent wise it works, but it's pretty much all like, I mean, very similar to the Knicks. It's a lot of, okay, we'll just start the ball in the higher mid post and see how it goes. And like, it's just 
part of it is like an innate like having a poor roster, but also the coaching has been it's been kind of whack. Um, I just can't get there with them as a as a as a real contender. I think like I agree with Stacy. As long as you have LeBron, I think you do have a shot. But at the same point too, like. I mean, you got to actually have some guys around him who are going to to make the defense care. Um, and I, there's either enough guys around to make the defense care, but nobody to make the offense care. And it's just, uh, it's a an unfun calculus. But um, we'll see what happens in the playoffs. I mean, they might not even like. I, I'm not going to say that they'll be out of the playing, but they're 27 and 31 right now. The Pelicans are a team that I do think are going to to end up taking that final spot in the play in. And with how they've looked, like I know that they've lost a couple games recently, but their offense has looked a lot better with CJ McCollum there. And that's something that they've struggled with. They really have been more of a defense first team this year. Winning games pretty ugly. Um, they exchanged a little bit of that defense for more of an offensive identity. And I think once they really get things to click and mesh with him and figure out their starting lineup again, because they've been tinkering with that, I'm interested to see how they look down the stretch. Um I just I, – I'm I'm worried that this Lakers team won't even get out of the play-in is where I'm at right now. So, it is uh, it is it is gross is the best way to put it. I'm glad you mentioned the Pelicans because I wanted to ask you about them. And specifically, this is not an X's or O's question. I want to ask you about Textgate. So, J.J. Redick um, was speaking on a show that I will not publicize. And um, <laughs> Redick talked about – so the news came out that that I think CJ McCollum said that he hasn't. He was asked if he had spoken to Zion, and he said that he hadn't spoke to him yet. Um, and JJ Redick was talking about how in his time in New Orleans, he had he would describe Zion as a quote detached teammate, and described this sort of thing as a pattern of behavior. Um, and he meant this obviously in a critical sense that he thinks Zion needs to be more. Um, open and inviting and he called it like the the bare minimum of humanity to extend to someone i don't really know or care about that but there is certainly a pattern of behavior that would seem to indicate that zion has never wanted to be um a pelican um and is trying to get out probably as soon as he can um possibly to join rj and cam in new york who knows but i wanted to ask you um mark your perspective on this because you you grew up around um, like a small market team in Cleveland, I think is who you followed like when you were growing mm -hmm. up. And so we may have like very different perspectives on, on things just because I grew up a Nick fan um, to me, whether Zion is, is has been enough of a teammate. I don't know. And I'm not interested in judging that, but when I see this kind of story, I feel like this is further evidence that, I think the, I I think the draft is nonsense. I don't think there should be a draft, but I understand that I am a fan of a team who would probably benefit if that were the case, um, and that there are different realities for teams around the league. As someone who grew up, you know, rooting for a small market franchise that did end up eventually with a megastar through the draft, um, do you feel sympathy for the Pelicans? Or do you feel, not to make it a binary, do you feel sympathy for yeah. the Pelicans? And um, do you think if Zion just wants out, like, is this behavior unprofessional? Or is this somebody just wanting agency over his career? It's so tough uh, 
and how to look at this one, man. Um, because I'm I'm exactly with your with where you're at. I'm not in a place to judge who Zion is or isn't as a teammate. I think I would say if he is dead set on being in New Orleans, then I would be like, okay, why aren't you talking to CJ McCollum? That would be kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but just given like you're talking about, like I think, I mean, he clearly has not wanted to be in New Orleans. We can beat around the bush with that one, but I mean, the leaks have been there. It is what it is. He's not going to come out and directly say it. But, I mean, I'm, I'm in the same place with, with with you. As somebody who enjoys, like, following the draft and, and doing talent evaluation, I'm there. Like, I think that we need to find a way to move on from it because um, – and it's – to me, it's more – like, I'm sure, like, it always comes down to a business thing, which I find extremely frustrating. But, like, I don't know. I think it should be more about just finding the people who are talented and finding ways to maximize them. The more that we can treat this, like – it like the the issue that I have, and the, sorry to to go on a tangent, but like my issue with saying it's a business over and over again is that we only treat it like a business selectively, mm-hmm. and that's a problem. Like the fact that we can like it's getting better now by having the NIL added in, but still, like I think that's more of a mitigation than anything else in terms of actually making this realistic and treating it like it is. Like the sooner that we just talk about it and make it out to be like okay. Being a professional athlete is just like any other job in the fact that it is a job. The demands are incredibly different, and I think that's something that this country still needs to learn. But, like, the fact that we still treat it like uh, this is, like, a for love of the game thing or anything is bullshit. Like, I think that there should be agency over where you want to go play. I don't really think that just because some team fucks up what they're doing or they tank and get the first overall pick that they should have their rights to you for the next seven and a half years. I think that's kind of corny as hell, like – even just looking at Cleveland, if LeBron James wasn't from Akron, Ohio, then we're not even talking about the Cavaliers. Like, that's not a thing that happens. Like, I think, yes, he, he would still get drafted there, but is he staying there as long as he is? Is he coming back? No. Like, um, that factors in. I, and I agree with you, too. It's not as simple as just being like, oh, well, abolish the draft and figure it out later because you're right. Like, I think more people would want to go to New York or Miami or, or any of those places, but um, – I also just think that's part of how it's supposed to be, man. Like I, my hope is that it gets to being at a level, like kind of where we're at with, uh, with Premier league soccer, like having, mm-hmm. um, having clubs that, that go up from the ground up. Like, I think that's more the direction that I'd like to see it go. And you have guys getting paid as soon as they can become professionals and actually treating it like it's professional. Um, like more of the route of, like, I think G League Ignite is, like, a really interesting first step. Same thing with, like, Overtime Elite, like we're seeing with that. Um, because I think it's a lot more of it is just about what can we do in terms of getting rid of the NCAA or moving away from that. Not to say that there shouldn't be any athletic competition or ways to come out that way, but I think it's more just about making it so that is not the main way that people come out and, and, and get into professional sports is an important way to look at it. Um, and And just more on Zion, like – uh, I mean, I, I, again, I'm not, I'm not fully in on the front office, so I can't, you know, completely weigh in on it, but, um, I don't know, like nothing has really been awesome there. I, I don't think David Griffin's necessarily done a bad job, but he hasn't done an amazing job either. In my opinion, I think this year, like hiring Willie Green's been awesome. I like mm-hmm. Willie Green a lot. I like what he's done. I think he would be my, my rookie coach of the year. Um, he's done an awesome job with them turning them around. Like, I mean, quietly, they've been 500 since they had that absolutely horrid start because they had the worst schedule in basketball. 
Um, you know, they adjusted to life without Zion throughout that. And I think part of that too was like, that's a little bit on David Griffin, the way that they've handled everything, the way that they've talked about it and just like constantly made out like, Oh, well, Zion might be back. Zion might not be back. Like part of that's on Zion, but that's also on the front office. Um, like it's definitely been weird. I, I, it has been, um, quote unquote unprofessional from him, but also like, it's really tough for me to be super critical of somebody who's like 22, 23 years old and a professional when, a, we never prepare those dudes to be professionals and be like, I mean, I'm 24 years old. I'm not even, I'm still figuring out how to be professional sometimes. Like I think some that, and I'm not saying you, but I just mean in general, like the, uh, the backlash can be kind of ridiculous. Like the, I, I just think people way too easily discount how much pressure and shit goes into this. And we don't know who is or isn't in his ear talking and telling him what to do. I'd imagine that there are people who are there doing that. Um, and I think that's, that's again, more about looking at it like it is a business and being realistic. If we're going to always talk about it being a business, okay, how can we find the best way to get guys advice on how to handle things when they get into the league and prepare them for it? Because I think that's another stage that I'd really like to see change in the NBA and just sports in general. Like we don't do a good job of preparing guys for being famous, for being stars. For you don't being, like the Chris Carter speeches at the athlete symposiums? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, like I just, there's, we, we, there's so much that we could figure out to be better with it, but ultimately it's there. There's a lot of gray area with it, but I lean far more into um, thinking that there, there needs to be a way that we, we move on from the draft and allow more agency in general at the beginning. So on that note, so I'm less familiar with both like, Premier League as well as um, hockey. So if I misspeak, definitely correct me. But that is interesting you bring up those models because there's two. So as I understand it, in in hockey, um, you can get drafted while you're a college player um, and maintain your eligibility and continue to play. And then as I understand it, so you mentioned that players get paid in in Europe as soon as they're old enough, right? Um, So what is it? Because I know that there's like, 13 or 14 year olds who can, I think Mo Wagner played for Alba Berlin, for example, mm-hmm. like from when he was 13. Right. I think that's often the case. Mm-hmm. Are those players getting paid at that point? Or, you know, I, I guess like, cause I, it's fascinating to me. I, I don't know too many of the specifics of that, but um, I think it'd be interesting as, as an alternate model. Well, yeah. Like uh, as far as I know, like guys will start getting paid then like Christian Pulisic, I think was getting paid when he was like 16 or 17 already. Um, and a lot of that too is more like, okay, how talented are you? But I think that's part of it too. Like a lot of it is identifying the guys who would be first round draft picks and stuff like that. And those are the guys who should be getting paid right away. Like I think those are the guys who are done a disservice having to go to college to a degree. And I think it's also doing a disservice to like just college in general. Like, okay, this guy is not here to be a student. Why are we acting like it? Um, and it's more about like, I, I think th- this is like unpacking a whole other can of worms, but I think there needs to be more in terms of organization and structure around youth development and coaching in general. Um, I think it's pr- like, I am not the way that some people talk about AAU is ridiculous. They're amazing AAU programs and coaches, but there are some shysty ones too. And I think you're going to have that in whatever you do, but I would like to see more regulation of that. Um, and I think part of that would like, if there are, like, you know, it, let's say the Knicks have a farm system that goes all the way down to youth. Like then I think there'd be a lot more incentive for them to actually have it structured and organized. Um, so like, okay, if somebody's coming up at Rucker park and they're like 11 or 12 and they look really good and you sign them to your team, 
um, or you, they just come up through your program, then um, by like age 14 or 15, they're like signing, playing semi-pro or something like that through you. There's a lot more uh, incentive to actually focus on their development and prepare them um, for the next level um, instead of, you know, putting on these guys to do it themselves. And like, I mean, guys are very capable of doing it. They have been, that's, that's why they get here. But, um, I, I don't know, is that making any sense? I'm kind of rambling here, but no, no, that, yeah, it was more like, yeah, like how, I guess how young and cause I think there's going to be other factors, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of like, I don't think if, you know, st- the student athlete designation, I think is tough already. Yeah. Um, I think if it starts to affect schooling for 14, 15, 16 year old kids, that would probably be more of a concern. But I mean, it, yeah. uh, we, we can always take precedent from Europe. And the other thing I'd, I'd ask, kind of going back to the Zion topic, how much if he was healthy, if he didn't have the weight issues or whatever, um, and was able to play more, do you think the situation would be where it's at? Do you think there's both sides blaming each other? I know it's pure. It's a lot of it is going to be speculation. But, you know, how much of that? elephant in the room so to speak is, is a contributing factor i mean that's a great point man i um i'm not like i think in that um in that clip you're talking about matthew like i mean cuna launched into talking about like well if you know maybe he would be playing if he were in new york right now i can't comment on that because i think to me i mean maybe he knows something but to me that's an unfair area to go right. um but i i do think like actually being in an environment instead of like when you're away from somewhere and you can ruminate on it and you can see what other people are saying on Twitter all the time and um, hearing what people are saying on podcasts or radio or or TV, like if you're actually there and doing it and participating in it regularly, I think that changes things and you you have a different perspective on how things are going when you're there. Um, So I'm sure it would change things. And also too, like I imagine the Pelicans would be above 500 right now if Zion were there. Like if Zion had been healthy the whole year, this fucking team would be pretty good. Like, I don't think that they would be elite or anything, but they'd be like in that same range as, as Minnesota, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. uh, again, barring health or whatever, but winning does tend to to um, paper over things. And especially to like the conversation around Zion is just different if he's playing. Like, I, I think what's really frustrating me is I just hate the conversation about Zion in general. Like, um, I think you can definitely have real questions about how he takes care of himself or prepares for, for, for basketball and whatnot. But at the same point too, it's not our place entirely to, to judge that. Like if he can treat himself like that and still be an all-star all NBA level player, by all means do you bro. Um, But like, I think that's, what's just so frustrating about it. If he was playing right now, I think the conversation is so different around it. Speaking of Zion, um, I want to give Stacy a chance to explore the space here. Stacy, let's just say you snap your fingers and tomorrow Julius Randle is not a Nick and Zion is by some, you know, the Pope signs something and there we go. <laughs> How many Knicks? Because there's just been so much Zion of the Knicks noise that like, why not have a little fun with it? How many of the current Knicks do you think would make sense starting alongside like Zion Williamson. For example, I think the presence of Zion can work well with RJ, but it also makes me wonder if like maybe I want a different kind of a a wing if I have Zion because maybe now I view shooting differently. I don't know. Um, So some players seem to me like they'd be custom made to roll with Zion going forward. Some players I feel like if you brought Zion in, 
some people that you know fans love would have to go out. How would you see Zion right now with who's on this team? Who would be, you think, the kind of players that you'd want to have with him going forward? And who would be maybe someone that doesn't fit? That's a great question. Um, I'll start with two that I think are bad fits straight off the bat. Uh, it's Mitchell Robinson and Obi Toppin. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Obi Toppin, there's a little bit more league way, but the fact of the matter is Obi Toppin has been shooting in the low 20s from three. Mm-hmm. Um, I like his form. I think I see a shooter there someday. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the results are what the results are at this point. It's pretty disappointing. Um, and he doesn't offer the kind of rim protection to be a center next to Zion. So Zion, I think it's less... He's a little. He's more explosive than Julius, but some of the same things apply. Where ideally you'd have him next to a big that can space the floor for him, or not crowd the paint, or if they are paint bound, um, have the ability, you know, kind of like Jared Allen, where he's not a, a stretch five really, right? But he's more dynamic with the ball in his hands. That opens it up for for that allows him to play with another big, right? And and Mitch just isn't that guy. Ovi could be, but then what Jared Allen gives you on the other end is defense to cover up, right? And, um, you know, Obi doesn't give you that. I mean, he's, he's actually an underrated rim protector, but he's still not really a guy you want defending centers. So then the question would be, can Zion play the center position for the Knicks? Um, I think he's capable probably of defending some post-up fives. Maybe not a guy like Valanchunas, but he has the strength to, I think he has the vertical ability to protect the rim. He was good at it in college. Um, but he ha- the results just haven't been there in the pros. I think that's been pretty big surprise for me um like the whole thing with zion out of college was his motor was elite right when you combine that with his tools um like he was just all over the place on defense uh he just hasn't been in the same way right in in the pros um so so going down to to those two like mitch i think is probably the worst fit with him i don't think obi is a great fit um we do have tape of him playing with another nick those results were mixed. Him and RJ Barrett weren't a great fit, but RJ's shooting has improved since then. Mm-hmm. RJ's had more of a willingness to play off ball. And part of the reason they didn't fit well is because Zion was playing the off ball role more. And I wonder if you flip that, like many people wanted to see at that time, especially with RJ's improved shooting, I think that could work. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't hate that pairing. Um, I think Grimes is a hand and glove fit. Um, IQ too, both are really good off ball movers. Um, and complimentary guys. I think IQ pick and roll with Zion would be really fun. Um, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, I think most of the young guys fit pretty well besides Obi um, and Mitch. Um, so you'd probably want to replace those guys with a little bit more of a dynamic stretch five option. Not even a stretch five, like I said. like Someone like Jared Allen would be fine too, realizing that those don't grow on trees either. He's making $20 million a year. But somebody who's more dynamic on offense and gives you rim protection. Um, and then in the backcourt, I think you want people who can shoot and play on and off ball. And I think that applies to all the Knicks young players. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on that. Uh, Mark, what do you think? Yeah. Um, I kind of feel similar to you. And one thing that's interesting too, um, that I, I've wanted to go through, I'll, I'll have to go do this later with, with Obi, but, um, I wonder how different if like, cause I, I just even going back through, like he had like two games where he started this year, but for the most part, he's been that pretty consistent, like 15 ish minutes a game. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much rhythm would play in for him. If he was playing like 25 or 30 minutes a game, if his shooting would be better, because I think there are a couple guys like even Corey Kispert this year, 
he's looked a lot better as a shooter once he's gotten more time. I, like one of my friends sent me his splits where if he was playing 10 minutes game, he's shooting like, you know, below 40% from the field, below 30% from three and like closer to starting. He's like, you know, almost 50, 40, 80 or something like that. And I wonder if that would be the same for Obi. Um, but yeah, no, I feel similarly like to me, like the idea of having like even that's part of the reason I like the CJ McCollum trade is like CJ is an awesome player to have alongside Zion. Like he brings a lot of the ideas of what you had with JJ Redick there. Like JJ playing alongside Zion was so fun for that stretch when they were just doing a lot of the same stuff that, that JJ did with Embiid, just run two man action between the two of them, do a lot of stuff in the empty corner. Um, use movement and shooting off of somebody who has insane vertical gravity and, and just ability to be a, a torture to the rim. Like what's so crazy is we almost like, I, I, I kind of feel like I almost have to write something about how good Zion freaking is because like, I mean, he was like, a, I, did he make all NBA last year? He was close. He to was it. very I, close. Correctly, I think I had him on my third team last year because he was just nuts and and you're totally right like he has i think the biggest area for for me with him like what i was hoping the most for this year which i just don't think is going to happen because of how many games are left and we haven't seen him yet so i doubt he's going to play um i mean i was hoping we would see what he could look like better defense if he could look better defensively because that's the big question with him like like you mentioned stacy like he just looked like a different player on defense in in duke compared to where he's been at in the nba um so it's uh it's a toss-up but like i mean i agree iq and and uh and grimes are easy fits alongside him rj is like i think that that would be fine it's more about like what do the ball handlers look like behind him how do you how how dynamic do you get with the offense because that's like the other question i'm like okay i don't think tibbs fits with zion which is like where i i get interested with that because i want to see somebody like like an alvin gentry who's really innovative and is going to find ways to get the most out of their, their entire lineup and who they have on the roster. And I don't think Tibbs is that guy because Tibbs, I don't want to just say he's a system coach. Like he's a very, very good coach when everything is going right. But um, in terms of maximizing somebody like Zion, who you have to get funky with, I don't know if I see that. Um, the idea of Cam Reddish potentially, but again, Cam was uh, another Duke player who we have film on playing with Zion. Cam was not great at Duke. Um, like it was ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that too is like, you know, becoming the third option when you've been the first option your whole life is, is really tough. And I think we discount that, but um, I, I don't know. Even then, like the cam experience in, in New York hasn't been anything wild. I do think he's done some fun stuff as a ball handler. That's been interesting to look at, but it's a lot of the same stuff. You're just getting, you're getting some pull-ups, not much to the rim and a lot of turnovers. So I'm not entirely sure. I still think it was the right trade to make it, but you know, it depends on whether or not he actually has playing time. Um, but I mean, yeah, that just the, the long story short, there's there are guys who fit with him, but not everybody. Um, it's mostly the young guys. Calling it now, 2025. Zion's a Nick, RJ's a Nick, Cam is a Nick, CJ McCollum is there as a 34 year old, Mike Shashevsky's <laughs> the coach, and the Knicks are oh, 25 gross. and 34. And we're talking about trades, which guarantee you in three years. Hey man, I'm I'm over Coach K. I have been for a while. We don't need to we don't need to hear anything from him again after he's done this year. Oh, Mark, I would love to have you on for an hour anytime just to talk shit about Coach K. I Wait, am what did, what did he so do this year? What what? What did he do this year? Just exist. It's <laughs> enough. For me. Is he like anti vax or something? No, no, no. He's he. I don't think he's anti vax. I just think he's he had some screaming fit at a coach. I think from. 
um, Maryland like two weeks ago, and and just yeah, like he's he's one of to me. He is the guy who uh, the like, Jay Billis and everybody actually is painting Coach Cal and and other guys who do uh you know like I don't know I, there's there's not sh- stories I can share on pod I can tell you after but like there's just like a lot of the stuff that is painted as like all oh, these guys are like breaking NCAA rules and stuff like Bruce Pearl and, and Coach Cal like I I mean I think it's more telling that they do break it instead of doing you know some some other stuff but that's a, I'll, I'll leave it at that <laughs> makes sense <laughs> this is the believe Knicks and shade Coach K podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Matthew Miranda here for Stacey Patton. Mark, what do you have um, coming up that our listeners should look out for? Any pieces coming out soon or projects? Yeah, I should have, I think, two things out tomorrow. Um, I should probably write both of them uh, at some <laughs> point. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, I have outlines done at least, so I'm, I'm ready for that. But, yeah, I'll have, I mean, I'll have things coming out. Um, if you enjoy Gangstar and uh, watching people play defense – I did an article on uh, Oklahoma City Thunder and their defense. They do this thing called – I went and, like, I normally will do, like, a lot of background stuff before I'm doing a little bit of a bigger profile. And um, the o- Oklahoma City, uh, like, video team put out this really cool video on their defensive principles. It's, like, 55 seconds long, and they had, uh, like – they talked about moments of truth at the rim, which is, like, their – how they, you know, their, their responsibilities and contests and whatnot and – I love Gangstar and '90s hip hop in general, so I weaved in all the lyrics from "Moment of Truth" moment of truth to uh, um, to explain why their defense is good. They've been uh, they're the third best half court defense in the NBA in 2020, which is like absurdly shocking. Uh, so yeah, if you want to check that out, I was pretty pr- proud of how that turned out, and I hope to have some more good stuff like that soon. Nice, very cool. You can follow Mark on Twitter at. M. Schindler NBA, S C H I N D L E R. Um, Mark, thank you so much for coming and sharing your insight into the whole league. Um, before you go, because you are a renowned food critic, um, <laughs> just give us a hint of something that you have eaten recently that has either thrilled you or, well, how would Clyde rhyme it? Um, I don't know. Spilled. I keep getting spilled. Uh, I'm gonna leave it to Clyde. Just give us some food that either you have enjoyed or very much not enjoyed of late. Wow. Um, or just a food hot take you want to get out there. You have the airways are open. What should the public know about food? (laughs) I had uh, I had seafood paella the other day. It was homemade. It was very good. Nice. I love paella. Um. I will say Italian food's kind of overrated. Um, that's one of my hot takes that generally gets pretty bad feedback, but uh, I'll stand by it. Anti-Italian discrimination. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, exactly. The gabagool. Yeah, it's uh, I. It's fine. It's just not for me. I don't. You know, I don't think if if you need sauce on something, is it really that good? You know, that's kind of where I'm at. Very philosophical um, there. I like that. <laughs> well, exactly. Like okay. Yeah, this thing tastes really great when I put something else on it. Like, okay, that's what is the logic here? Why can't I? Shouldn't I just have like that? Just doesn't feel efficient to me, you know. But um, I'm sure I've upset plenty of people with that. But luckily, we're at an hour and eighteen here, so hopefully, uh, hopefully, I shut. A lot of those people have fallen asleep by now, so don't worry. Yeah. Um, last question. Oh, 
I, I'm just going to ask you this. I heard two people arguing about it recently, and I found it bizarre. Do you think it is weird to cook um, garlic and onion together? No, not at all. Okay. St- Somebody said that's weird. Yeah, Stacey, where are you on this? Uh, that's pretty interesting. My um, my girlfriend's parents, uh, her mom, essentially doesn't eat garlic or onion for or onion for religious reasons. Okay. And my girlfriend, for many years of her life, didn't. Um, I yeah, I need both. Um, like I am a very much a garlic lover, and I don't see why you wouldn't pair it with onions. Yeah. Um, those are pretty big staples of my diet. So. Apparently, there are garlic onion misogynists out there. So, just so everybody knows. The condiments usually throw it all together. The more, the merrier. Are they vampires? Uh, <laughs> it might be. But kind of a very selective vampire that um, can have garlic as long as it's not with onions, bizarrely. It's a, a very, very recessive trait. Um, okay. I think on that note, that is all for episode 15 of the Believe Nicks podcast. So for Stacey Patton and Mark Schindler. Matthew Miranda signing off and we will see you again in a couple of days. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B L E A V on You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.